Good morning, church family. You can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Ryan. If you're new, we want to especially welcome you to worship with us this morning. Whether you are a disciple of Jesus who's walked with Jesus for decades, or whether this is your first time ever coming to a community of disciples of Jesus, you're welcome here no matter how this week has treated you, whether you're floating in on cloud nine or whether you're limping in because you've just been, it's just been one hit after another this week. You're, you're welcome, and we believe that Jesus has something special for you today through his word and, and through his people. Um, uh, one quick announcement before we look at Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are a church that is led by a team of, of elders. Um, I want to ask our, our elder team to stand, if you guys could. Right now, our elder team is myself, Matt Rice, uh, and Pastor David, uh, Zach Kirby, uh, Brian Cross, and then Aaron Kiefer, who is out of town with his family today. And David's also out of town on vacation. So these three guys, plus myself and the two of them. And I just want to thank you guys, especially to Brian and Zach and, and Aaron Kiefer. These men have full-time jobs that are very demanding. They have families that require a lot of attention that they care for very diligently but they, um, they love you enough to take time out of their busy schedules to, to pray for you, to teach you the word, to help shepherd you, to help counsel you, and to help lead us as a church. So can we give these men a, a hand just to say thank you? As you guys can go ahead and be seated. Well, uh, we are a church that's elder-led, and we are praying for God to provide more uh, men like Brian and Zach and, and Aaron, uh, who who are not, haven't necessarily been to seminary, uh, not looking for people who are trying to join full-time ministry, but people who God is raising up to help lead our church as, as elders, as, as lay elders, as, as we say. In the Bible, in 1 Timothy 3, and other passages as well, but especially in 1 Timothy 3, the Bible tells us that the qualifications for elders are that they be men who are not recent converts to Christianity, who have exemplary Christian character, and who are also able to, to teach God's word. It doesn't mean that elders have to um, be able to preach or have the gift of public speaking, but are able to open up God's word and explain to people what it means, uh, whether that's in a small group setting, on stage on a Sunday morning, or in a one-on-one -on -one type of counseling uh, setting uh, as well. So I, I want to have an invitation to all of you. If you know anybody in our church family who meet those qualifications that you think would be a, a good addition to our elder team here at our church, would you please let us know? Um, we, we're praying all the time that God would continue to raise up more elders. You can talk to me or, or Matt or David or one of our other elders, or you can email us at elders at northwestlife.org, elders at northwestlife.org, if you know someone that you think would be a good potential elder for us to consider. Or if you yourself feel this is something that God is calling you to, then we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Okay? Well, today is our final message on the Sermon on the Mount. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for, obviously for Pastor Matt and Pastor David, but also and especially for Brian, for Zach, for Aaron, um, for John, for Ryan, other men who have in the past served on our, on our elder team. God, thank you for raising up these men to help shepherd us and lead us. 
And Father, I pray that you would raise up from among us uh, men who are, who are poor in spirit, who are pure in heart, who are meek, who seek you first, who are merciful, who love you and love others to help shepherd us and help reach the, the people around us, God. So we pray that you, would, that you would do that. Would you help us to be a church that is where the people who are most like you are the people who are most influential? And Father, as we come to your word right now, would you bless us by your spirit? Help us to understand your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to obey it. And help us to be able to teach it to others too. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open up with me to Matthew chapter 7. Um, we'll get there in a second, but I, I want to I share this with you first. So probably the, the scariest, probably the scariest image that I've ever seen in my life and maybe for you, you would say this is the case for you as well. So September 11th, uh, 2001, uh, quiet Tuesday morning um, when there were uh, two airplanes that were hijacked by terrorists and then flown into the Twin Towers of, of the World Trade Center. I remember distinctly where I was. Uh, I was in my fourth period class, so the video production class in my junior year at Athens Drive High School in Raleigh. And I remember, you know, we, everything had stopped, and we were just watching the news feed of what was going on. And the towers were hit uh, a little bit after 8 o'clock in the morning. And then after a, an hour or so, they collapsed. And to use the language that our passage today uses, great was the fall. I don't know if you remember that image, but it was just such a, I just got this visceral sinking in my stomach as you see this 100-plus-story building that one moment it's there, and then just doom, 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 doom. And after seconds, all that's left of this massive building is just this pile of smoking rubble. If you're over the age of 25, I'm sure you likely remember where you were, whether you were in school, you were at home, or you were at work. If you're under 25, maybe you didn't see that live or on the news at the time, but you've probably seen videos or you've seen pictures or something like that. It was absolutely terrifying, uh, terrifying, awful thing. I want you to imagine with me for a second. Imagine with me that you were on that day, September 11th, 2001, on that quiet Tuesday morning, that you were working on the top floor, on the 102nd floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And imagine you came into work early, it's about 8 o'clock, so before the towers have been struck. Obviously, you don't know that's going to happen. But imagine somebody comes running into your office building, running into your, your office, and says, look, I can't explain, but within hours, this building is going to collapse. And there's still time to get out, but you have to leave now. If that was you, how do you think you would have responded? What do you think you would have done? I think on the one hand, that's a pretty radical thing to say, right? It's never happened before. I mean, that's one of the, 
the largest buildings in the world. It's one of the architectural marvels of the United States. It's meticulously maintained. It's designed by brilliant architects and engineers. There's no way this building's going to fall. That sounds ridiculous. On the other hand, you've got a lot of stuff to do today. You came in early. You've got important emails to send. You've got important meetings to attend. You've got decisions to make. That's why you came in so early on this Tuesday morning. My guess is that you would decide how to respond to what that person said to you based on what you perceived that person's authority to be. If it was a little kid that came to work with their mommy and daddy, maybe you kind of pat them on the head and say, okay, you know, haha, but we don't really, we don't joke about stuff like that. If it was somebody that seemed to be kind of deranged, you might call security. But if it was somebody, for whatever reason, that you thought to be authoritative enough to trust what they were saying, you might just do what they said. And the reason I bring this up today is because in the passage we're looking at today, you can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We've been looking at Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has kind of, in a sense, run into our lives and told us some pretty radical things. He's told you, he's told me, he's told us some things that if we actually take him seriously, if we don't just kind of pat him on the head and say, oh, that's nice, if we actually take him seriously, have the potential to at, at least really inconvenience our lives, and probably for many of us, completely throw our plans, completely mess up our plans, for our life, completely throw those plans out the window. And just like that scenario I was telling you about before, we have to decide how we're going to respond. What is the authority of Jesus which determines whether we should respond and how we should respond to him? So today we're looking at three things. This is our outline. Number one, we're looking at the response that Jesus is demanding of us. Number two, we're looking at Jesus' authority that he uses to tell us to do that and number three, we're looking at, finally, what does it look like if we do respond the way Jesus tells us? What are some practical steps that we can take of personal obedience based on that response, based on what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? Sound good? Okay, let's look with me at, at, uh, at Matthew chapter 7. This is what he says at the very conclusion in, in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and does them. Which words is he talking about? Well, the words he's just spoken. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here's the tricky thing with this passage. Um, 
to, to be honest, I, I could kind of try to tell you lots of interesting facts about first century soil composition and how they built foundations. I could try to tell you a lot of interesting facts about first century architecture or weather patterns, but I think that could be beside the point. Here's what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is telling us in this passage. He's telling us God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. The first thing out of John the Baptist's mouth when he starts preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he says, bear fruit in keeping with, with repentance. Even now the ax has been laid at the root of the tree. Any branch that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The gospel of Matthew ends with everybody who's ever lived standing before Jesus and being judged by him, whether they're, allowed, whether they're the sheep who are allowed to enter into his kingdom or whether they're the goats that are rejected. In the Old Testament, one of the most common images that God uses to describe his judgment is a storm. And not just like a rainstorm like we had last Sunday, like a, a devastating hurricane that destroys everything in its path. So here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying God's judgment is coming. And on the one hand, if you hear what Jesus is saying, if you listen to his words that he's been telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, and you, and you actually do them, you actually obey them, you actually put them into practice, what Jesus is saying is that your life is going to be as if that, one, that twin tower, that north tower of the World Trade Center, as if at the last minute that plane just took a hard right and flew off into the, into the horizon and, and didn't touch the, the, the building at all. You're going to stand firm. You're going to be safe, and you're going to enter in forever and have eternal life. You're going to enter into Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. But here's what he's saying. On the other hand, if you hear these words that Jesus says, and maybe you even think, wow, Jesus is so insightful. Maybe you even think, wow, that's brilliant teaching. Maybe it even convicts you. Maybe you even think, man, I really should do those things. Maybe you even memorize them. Maybe you even lead Bible studies where you teach other people about them. But you don't actually do them. What Jesus is saying is, if you hear these words and you don't actually do them, then when God's judgment comes, you're going to be like the tower that was here one second and then seconds later just doom, 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 collapsed into a, a smoking pile of rubble. Well, nothing left except for this big cloud of dust. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. And so the, the question then is, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're either going to obey and have life, eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, or you're going to hear and maybe think lots of things, maybe even do some good things, but you're not really going to obey. You're not going to do what Jesus is saying, and it's going to be eternal separation from God. Well, that's a hard word. What is the authority that Jesus is using? By what authority does he say these things to us? Is he the person that we kind of pat on the head and say, okay, we don't really joke about stuff like that around here? Is he the person that says, okay, call security, this guy's kind of whatever? Or is he somebody that we actually respond and take seriously? Well, look with me in the next passage, the, the final two verses of the sermon. This is verses 28 and 29 of chapter 7. It says, and when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished 
at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. I imagine this is kind of like, imagine if you have like some, if you have some, some classical music fans. Okay, you have some classic music fans, classical music fans. They go to the, they go to the PNC Center or whatever concert hall it is. They, they get there, they show up, and they're expecting to see a Mozart concert. But then like Metallica comes out on stage and just like rocks for like three hours or something. They would be like, what in the world? That is not what we were expecting. They would be astonished, right? That's the way people felt when they heard Jesus teach. Well, why is that? Why were they so astonished? It wasn't because, this text says, it wasn't, they weren't astonished because he was so eloquent. They weren't astonished because he was so handsome or good-looking. They weren't astonished because he was so funny. They weren't astonished because he was so charismatic or so insightful or something like that. Look at what it says. It says, they were astonished at his teaching. Verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. You see, the scribes who were their teachers back then, for the Jewish people in the first century, the scribes, when they taught, they would teach like this. They would say, okay, turn with me in your scroll or whatever they had. Uh, turn, with me, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at what Moses says to us in the Ten Commandments. You see, in, in verse so-and-so, Moses says this, and so because Moses says this, you should do this. Or maybe they would say, well, 50 years ago, the famous rabbi so-and-so said that this verse is interpreted this way, which means you should live like this. They would base their teaching on other people's authority. They would cite other sources and quote other sources and say, do this because this is what Moses says, or this is what Rabbi so-and-so says. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes in in, verse, in, uh, in chapter 5, and he says, you know the Old Testament, the Bible? It's all about me. He says he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament is pointing to him. When he's teaching about how we're supposed to live, he quotes the Bible. He quotes the, he quotes the Ten Commandments and says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, yeah, solid. It's the Bible, the Ten Commandments. But then he says, but I say to you, and then goes on to teach. He's putting himself on the same level as Scripture. Probably most astonishing in a passage we talked about a couple weeks ago where he's talking about people that are trying to enter into his kingdom and that are either going to be welcomed in or turned away. Jesus himself, he doesn't say you'll get there and then God is going to be there and he's going to either let you in or, or, or reject you. He says, and I will say to them, I never knew you, or I will say to them, enter into the joy of your master. When Jesus casts out demons, this is crazy. This, is, this gets me, I get goosebumps when I think about this, how cool it is. When Jesus casts out demons, if you read more in the, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus casts out demons, he doesn't say, in the name of Yahweh, the God of heaven, be gone. He doesn't say, in the name of King David, be gone. He says, go away. And the demon just runs away. He doesn't have to cite any other authority. Jesus doesn't talk to people. He doesn't teach people like a teacher teaches their students. 
or hey, I'm trying to help you understand this material. He doesn't even talk like maybe the President of the United States would talk to their constituents where they're trying to give them reasons to vote for them. He talks like a king. He talks like the way a king speaks to the subjects of his kingdom. So that's what Jesus is telling us to do. He's telling us to hear these things and to go and do these things. And the authority that he has, that he's using to tell us these things, is the authority of God himself, the creator talking to the creation, the king talking to his subject. So what does this mean? How are we going to respond? How are you going to respond? Are you going to be the person who hears this and who listens to what Jesus says and who actually does it, who puts it into practice and have eternal life and use this kingdom? Or on the other hand, are you going to be the person over here who hears it, thinks it's interesting, maybe even takes notes on it, maybe even talks to your kids about why they should do it, but doesn't do it yourself? It's either eternal life or smoking pile of rubble. That's the choice Jesus is putting in front of us. Maybe one of the best things that we could do, maybe one of the best things you could do this week is go back through the Sermon on the Mount, reread Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and just ask the Holy Spirit, ask God as you're reading it, ask him, say, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Show me what things I'm doing currently that you want me to stop doing. Show me the things that I'm not doing that you want me to start doing, that you want me to start do. Show me, start doing. Show me what you want me to do this week in response to what you're teaching. Well, if you do that, and I'm going to read through the main body of the, of the text of the Sermon on the Mount right now. This is how we're going to close. I just want to read through Matthew 5 through 7, the main body, actually Matthew 5 and 6. And if you do that, if you listen to what Jesus is saying, and if you actually listen to it not with, hey, I wonder what little interesting nuggets I can glean, or, man, that was a really good insightful point by Jesus, or what's his teaching outline here? But if instead you listen to it like, this is his kingdom and he is your king, Jesus, what do you want me to do? There's at least three things that you're going to see this is where we get into what personal obedience looks like in our response to the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, if you read this and you take it seriously, one thing that you're going to do, you're going to pursue true righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to pursue true righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read a long section here. Um, I encourage you to, you can read along with me, you can close your eyes and just listen. But again, as we're reading this, we're asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? Jesus says in verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court with him. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you should lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's number one. You'll pursue true righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, You'll pursue genuine intimacy with God. 
you'll pursue genuine intimacy with God through spiritual disciplines. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, And wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So if we're truly going to do what Jesus says, number one, we're going to pursue true righteousness. We're going to pursue intimacy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, we're going to use our money to invest in eternity. We're going to use our money to invest in eternity. Look at what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth or rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he he will either love the one and hate the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on? Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And, and which of you, by being anxious, can add even a single hour to the span of his life? And, and why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. This is what Jesus says. And this is, these are hard words, aren't they? You know, at the very beginning I said that Jesus is telling us that we have a choice. Either it's a life where we do what Jesus says, that results in eternal life, in Jesus' kingdom, stands firm, or on the other hand, it's a life where we maybe hear, maybe think it's interesting, maybe even read our Bible once in a while, but we don't actually do what Jesus is telling us. And that life ends in a smoking pile of rubble. Great was its fall. And so that's the choice that we all have between life and death, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. So the question for me, the question for all of us is, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose this week? What am I going to choose this week? When things get hard, when our will is conflicting with Jesus' will, when what we want to do is conflicting with what Jesus tells us to do, who's the king? Who's the king? Who's on the throne? You know, I, I, at the beginning, I used the image of the Twin Towers. I know that's a really disturbing image. And then in this passage, Jesus uses the image of a, of a house that gets wrecked by a devastating hurricane. But you know what the best, if you want the clearest picture of what somebody's life looks like when they get destroyed by the judgment of God you know what you should look at? Look at Jesus. Because just a couple years after he gives these words, he teaches this teaching, tells us how to live, tells us about his kingdom, gives us this ultimatum where it's like, obey, kingdom of heaven. Disobey, smoking pile of rubble. Just a couple years after this, Jesus himself, the only person in the world, the only person in history who ever really did build his house on a rock, <laughs> the only person in history who, ever, who was himself actually the rock, who 100% of the time always submitted to God the Father in every area of his life, the only person who, in all fairness, when God's judgment comes, 
should have had no problem at all. He was the one that got smacked by that airplane at 200 plus miles an hour. He was the one that died on the cross. He was the one who experienced that excruciating pain. He was the one who, when he cried out to God, God didn't listen to him. He was the one who was judged by God, who was separated from God, who received the wrath of God, who crumbled the way all of us would crumble if we were exposed to God's wrath. He was the one whose life was destroyed so that if you, as you read this, as you hear this, and you feel like I feel, which is that, oh my gosh, this is so beyond me. I can't do this. This is, be perfect as your heaven, what in the world? Jesus did that, Jesus took that so that you, if you look to him, and if you turn away from your own kingdom, you invite him to be the king of your life, you trust in him to forgive you of all of the countless ways that you and I have broken every single one of Jesus' commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, so that you, if you turn to him, if you trust in him, if you look to him, he will save you, he'll give you eternal life, and he'll put his spirit inside of you to be your firm foundation, to start building you up, to start changing you from the inside out, so you actually start doing what he says the same way Jesus did. And that's the real choice. What are we going to do? Are we going to pat Jesus on the head and say, that was nice? Are we going to think he's crazy? Or are we going to recognize his authority and escape into his kingdom while there's still time? Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. Um, Father, thank you for loving us enough to come into our life and, and to tell us the good news that you're the king. And I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. We reject any and all false condemnation from the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, we just ask that you would show us, show us what it looks like to not just hear these things, but to actually do these things. And Lord, for each and every single one of us, including myself, that right now maybe is thinking of something we know you've called us to do, but we can't do on our own. Holy Spirit, we only look to you. We're trusting in you to do it in us and for us and through us, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.